Stories Podcast, your number one show for everything guitar. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning. Hello, podcasts. It's us, the Guitar Stories Podcast. Hello. How is everyone? Uh, oh, I've got a wonky camera. Hang on. Let me sort that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's good to be back. Um, I, I've had a, I've had a very strange week, Dan. How have yours, how's your week been? Oh, pretty busy. Still trying to get everything ready for the big move. Yeah. As you can see, a lot of boxes still in the background. So, um, yeah. But it's getting close. We're getting closer. So, Monday is the big day. I, I suppose we, we should announce that um, there is no podcast next week. Sadly. Sadly, yeah. because Dan will be in the middle of carrying all oh, lots of bo boxes and um, guitars gently and gingerly um, to the new house. Yeah. And unfortunately, we don't have we don't have uh, um, any any kind of internet connection yet in the house. So apparently, there was glass fiber, but they said it's not working yet, and they are trying to fix that. But you know, uh, I know how it is. It's very unlikely that they'll be that they'll be ready by next Tuesday. So we decided it's better safe than sorry. Let's skip that episode and be back in full swing in two weeks. So. Exactly. But in autumn, yeah. big news, Dan, big news. In autumn, I will have fiber optic internet. I signed up for that this week, and it is the most exciting thing I've had happen to me. <laughs> you know how we should be excited about pedals and guitars and amps and, and yeah, Steve Vai yeah, and things yeah. like that? The guy, came, <laughs> the guy came to my house with this mask on. He said in, in Austrian-German, hello, I'm the internet man. And I could have hugged that man until I'd squeezed all the life out of him. I'm like, you, <laughs> you are my potential hero right now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? They've got these, of course, they've got these different oh, packages. There's like the, the starter pack, the family pack. There's one they call Generation. And there's one that's called like Super Duper Mega Pack. Which has got, which is like 150 okay. euros a month, and it's like the internet happens before it even happens. You know, like back in time, it's downloads <laughs> 10 gigabytes in like 20 seconds. Like, I wonder if I can justify like setting up a Patreon for the podcast so we could get 150 bucks a month. <laughs> I don't know if I can. <laughs> Listeners, viewers, let us know if if you'd like to contribute to me having the world's fastest internet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna just gonna spin. So, but, but yeah, the question the question is the fiber is it exclusively to you or do you share that with the fam? Oh, that's a good question. I'm always up for sharing, Dan. As you as you know. All right. Um, yeah. Exactly. Let's just put that camera on manual focus before it starts focusing on Bob back there. So, um, shall we jump straight into the news, Dan? <laughs> Yeah, let's please, let's go. Straight into the news, everybody. News. Music Messer. Uh, Dan, run us yep. through what Music Messer is while I drink from my Guitar Geek mug. I'm fully surprised that I'm supposed to talk about Music Messer here. Um, yeah, remember I, that? I actually don't know. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, what what did they announce? They announced that they that they are going to postpone it to 2022. But did they already say uh, which day? Um, let they? me just. Uh, I actually made some notes, so um, <laughs> I'll go through it. It's, I like the way that some people reported it. They said that Music Messer has fallen a bit flat in recent times, and I, I hate to take joy. <laughs> I, I don't like taking joy in someone else's misfortune, you know, unless they're falling downstairs and it's on a video. But. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, Music Mess has not been great these past few years. And it says they're going to yeah. sort of regroup and re-energize because they were still great for pro audio and lights, but it just started to die off yep. with guitars particularly, um, with all the major brands um, not just not going there. And, and you'd know, of course, um, representing Meinl and Ibanez. And um, so they've attracted less and less big names. Uh, what are they proposing? A recent press release says that the Mesa Frankfurt is working closely with the music industry to develop concepts for Music Mesa 2022. They want to bring together partners and associates from the culture and creative industries and commit themselves to their core ideals of promoting and making music. Did they call, did huh. they call you, Dan? There you go. They yeah. didn't call me either. A lot of... A lot of yeah, well, there you go. A lot of big words. <laughs> it's interesting because um, actually a couple of days ago, um, Music Park Leipzig also announced that mm. they're going to skip the 2021 event and uh, are going straight to the planning for 2022. Um, I find the term it, uh, Music Messe has fallen a bit flat. Very interesting. <laughs> That's like saying, <laughs> I mean, I, I've got some hair or, yeah. <laughs> or there are some boxes in your a room. Bit flat. Yeah, yeah. A little flat earthers. The earth is a little bit flat. A bit flat. <laughs> I suppose if you, if like you look that. far enough away, it is kind of. But you know, when you get close, it isn't. I, I I'd love to see Music Master come back because I am just down the road, as are you. I would love to see it happen. Um, however, to move forward, Music Master, I think you have to invite and officially invite YouTubers. It, you have to, or at least new media, because last time I was there, and I know you're mm -hmm. listening. Um, last time I was there, I saw one of your main representatives hanging around a table of newspaper uh, journalists saying, I don't think this YouTube thing will work. And I think they're really annoying, et cetera, et cetera. I'm paraphrasing there, but um, I wasn't very popular. And luckily, they didn't know who I was because I, wow. I was quite a small channel back then. But um, uh, yeah, they, need to, they need to get with the times, man. <laughs> But see, that's Music Messer. Um, any more to say about Music Messer, Dan? I don't know. I, I mean, Anaheim is a pretty long way to go and not everyone can come. So I totally appreciate the idea of having an event in, in Germany that is uh, like kind of in reach for a lot of European guys. On the other hand, you know, it's very broad. It's very generalistic. And um, in the last years, it hasn't been very, you know, pinpointed towards like our interests or my interests, or also the interests of, of, of companies like Ibanez. So um, I'm looking forward to kind of hearing more about the concept, because if you have a smart concept, like, you know, including YouTubers, including new media, I think you've got a good chance in, in, in kind of finding your own niche to some point. But if you just try to, you know, reinvent the same old wheel that you've been you know driving for, for 30 years there's no way that people will be interested at all and like you said you know <laughs> it has fallen a bit flat in recent years which means there has been very low attendance and uh, a lot of like major brands were missing and if that is the case you know you've got to have the big f the big g ibanez Schechter, music man those kind of companies in the acoustic realm you've got to have like i don't know taylor and uh, martin those kind of brands because otherwise you know people are not interested in that they want to check out new products they want to talk to the reps and they want to just have hang and have a good time and also meet people like you <laughs> so yeah i mean if they have the right ideas why not but at the moment it is i think there's a big question mark behind a lot of events 
how they are going to take place in 2021 or 2022, what their main focus will be. So, um, yeah, it will be interesting to see what they come up with. So, um, I'm always open to, to those kind of events because they provide an added value to the, to the consumers. You know, it's a nice diversion from just buying online. I am available for consultation, just so you know, Music Mesa. Uh, <laughs> I'm relatively uh, affordable compared to Dan, who's three times my price. Um, <laughs> let's talk about some real news, shall we, Dan? Some real news. Yeah, sure. The most important thing that's happened all week, sad news. <sighs> the guitar auction that Dan and I were messaging each other back and forth saying, I'm really busy, but look at this. And I've got my eye on this. <laughs> um, oh, someone's someone's calling. calling. Someone else what? wants to buy the, the J-Turs, the shark guitar. Um, Sorry, it's already gone. I think Tom Quay bought it. Sorry. I would have been... <laughs> you have already confirmed he didn't buy it, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, let's let's rush yeah. through this because I want to get our guest Richard Shaw on because I am super excited to talk to him tonight. <laughs> I am, yeah, I'm, I'm very very excited about it. But Shark Guitar went for four hundred and eighty pounds, which is way way over the expected price, and it was one of the most popular things. I'm saying this with no authority, by the way. It seemed to be one of the most popular things on the website, <laughs> even though I then saw one on <laughs> Reverb for about three hundred dollars. So it's not as if oh, there's there only go. one in the world, but. I didn't get anything. I didn't buy anything. I did put some bids on some pickups, like sort of 15 pounds, and I got outbid rather quickly. Mm -hmm. I'm not in a sort of cash flow situation to go throwing money at a shark with six strings on it at the moment, but there's another one in June. So we're going to try and get Luke from Guitar Auctions on, from Gardner Holgate, um, on the show to talk to us about it. Sort of nearer June, I guess, Dan, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe we can maybe we can even go live and kind of do some live coverage of of the actual auction. I mean, that would be fun. That'd be great. We can sort of outbid each other. Yeah. <laughs> no, I want that Ibanez. <laughs> no, I want that fuzz. There was some good stuff in that auction. I know that um, yeah. because of the podcast, there were extra people watching. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I kind of, I kind of shot myself in the foot by doing that. But seeing as I didn't have the money to go anyway, it was it was fine. It was like ter therapy to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, the, the the effects they went for crazy money, and I mean like crazy high. They they by far, I mean there were some some bargains. I think you've got a couple pictures uh, at hand, like the PRS. Uh, I, I would have. We, almost... we only threw them in the in the shot. Where's there we go? I'll, I'll throw it on there now. There we go. There you go. Nineteen eighty-seven. I mean, how, how much was that? Uh, the estimate was yeah. 1,005 and it went, which is crazy, and it went for 1,450, <laughs> which is yeah, insane. I mean, that's, that's, for, for a guitar from that age, you know, it's, it's kind of it's interesting to see that those kind of guitars that, that reach like collector's price at prices mm. nowadays, that they are not being, uh, you know, not, not going up in those crazy dimensions like I would have expected. And for 1450, I think that's, that's quite a good price for 87 kind of, was that like pre-factory, I assume? No uh, idea. I just know so, that I would expect that to go for a lot more. And then what else have we got? Yeah. We will have the, the short, the Jagstang, Jagstang sold yeah, for 700 yeah. quid, which is a good price for a Jagstang right now. You're now seeing them at, at even $2,000 they're going for. Um, Holy moly. Uh, okay. Yeah. And I, I, I'm rather upset. I don't want to talk about it anymore, if you don't mind. That's that's me done with the, with the guitar auctions. 
<laughs> what else do we have? I think a couple pedals too. A couple pedals. I was interested in in the Memory Man pedal. There we go. And the tube driver. And also the tube yeah. driver. Yeah. 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 But again, they went for quite you know a high amount of money. Two hundred sixty. Well, the tube driver is uh, a good price, bucks. right? That seems like a good price. The tube driver went for one twenty pounds, and Memory Man yeah. went for two sixty. Memory Man Deluxe, I should say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fair enough. We didn't win anything, so uh, let's focus on the next auction and see if there are any precious, uh, precious lots that we should uh, consider following. Absolutely. <laughs> um, on to some good news, I guess. The health of the guitar industry is booming. We are very, very healthy right now in the beginner's intermediate sort of level of playing. Mm. Um, it's been reported that Fender cannot keep up with their intermediate and beginner's level style of guitars. So we've got the Squire range, I guess the lower price made in Mexico's, um, even some American-made Fenders, you know, because there are beginners that start, luckily, with a really, really good instrument. And uh, <laughs> Fender can't supply them, which, which is odd, which is, I suppose, if, if Fender are having that issue, then everybody, it must be reflected everywhere mm -hmm. with other brands. No. Definitely. What I find interesting is that they, they wrote that uh, sales of the brand's sub-500 pounds uh, models grew by 92% from March to October last year. Uh, that's, that is a crazy amount. Yeah. I mean, 92%. But it shows that, that people, you know, being kind of quarantined at home and, and not able to travel, they kind of, you know, mm. thought about other, other hobbies and, and other uh, activities that they could... Uh, they could they could follow and playing the guitars up is something that's pretty attractive for a lot of people and in turn it will also lead us to having a much wider and, and larger audience in the future because even if only every fifth or every tenth uh, is sticking to playing the guitar it will increase the overall amount of guitar players quite significantly yeah i mean if yeah. if they've almost doubled the the, the sales um, then maybe they've doubled the amount of guitar players it'll stick at least mm -hmm. No, no. I mean, there's there's some very dodgy maths right there, but <laughs> <laughs> well, roughly, roughly, you know. yeah. But let's, let's yeah. we could even be more. Let's, let's and again, with with more, it becoming a less male dominated <laughs> um, area as well. Very exciting. Yeah, that's a good point. But um, yeah. that's kind of it for news. There's lots of news this week. We could talk about. Let's, let's quickly talk about. Um, um, what's his name? Oh, that Ibanez guitar player. Um, uh, Stefan. Nah. The guy with the broken thumb. Steve Vai. Um, oh, he's now go. released a track. Uh, what's the track called? Uh, Napsack or something? Na Napsack. 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 Yeah, Napsack. And also he's joined Patreon, which is very <laughs> odd for someone of his level to be joining something that's normally aimed at or not aimed at, but certainly available to um, independent musicians. But I think as we were discussing earlier, Dan, I, I think it might be an attempt to to get with the modern way of making music um, and yeah. adding access to his fans. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, you know, we've been discussing it quite in depth and uh, it was quite a surprise that, uh, that he would... Uh, be on a platform like uh, Patreon, but on the other hand, like you like you already mentioned before, it's it's probably not necessarily trying to you know steal the stage light from other upcoming players. It's more of like having a representation somewhere yeah. in a in a digital platform that's very very attractive, and and a lot of people are just you know visiting that on a regular basis. So I think he's offering those kind of memberships for five bucks, um, so you get like sneak 
peaks and, and you can listen to songs and all that stuff. So that's something for the Uber by fan that has everything, every jam and every Pia and limited colors and, you know. <laughs> or for those who can't quite get a Pia yet, like Poo Ninja. Um, yeah. Speaking of, of Patreon and stuff like that, we've had a super chat already from Rick. So Rick, thank you so much. You sent us a sticker right at the beginning of the uh, of the show and I forgot to drop it in. I'm very, very sorry. Mm. Um, what yeah. else do we have? Like, any, any more quick news? Not Apart really. I, we've got lots of gear and I want to get on to Richard who's going to be waiting for us in about 10 minutes. So let's All go. Right. Do you mind if we get to your pick of the week first? Sure. Let's go ahead. Dance. Dan's pick of the week. Ooh. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Actually, that could have been your pick too, right? It could have been, yes. I I, yeah. I, I, I really like them. But I didn't get, I didn't get sent one because last time I spoke to Fender, I kind of jokingly says, and don't send me one of those Acoustasonic things. And then they released one that I actually really like. And um, I think, I think they actually listened to me. <laughs> So no, I will not be having a video in the near future with an Acoustasonic uh, Jazzmaster. Oh. But Dan, your pick of the week. I don't want to talk all over it. No, it's all it's all good. It's all good. I was I was actually hoping for you to 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 get one of those because uh, it will be interesting to see how you treat it because you know you're a very like versatile player. You try to you know dip your uh, toes into metal and you play funk and all that stuff. So um, I, I would love to see how, how well that guitar can do because I watched like two two reviews so far or let's say presentations. Mm-hmm. Um, one was uh, Paul David's. Mm-hmm. And I liked this video a lot because uh, it was a very nice and very like nice sounding um, song that he played and it was well composed and it sounded great. But on the other hand, it also clearly showed what that guitar cannot do and oh. i was i was a little bit i was i was giggling a little bit when i was checking the video because i think the marketing uh the marketing statement said it's neither an acoustic nor an electric what is it <laughs> but they don't answer that so you either got to find that out or uh, you just say well it's nothing or i don't know i, I just had, had had a good laugh on on it's neither an acoustic nor an electric <laughs> Because you know it's, it's 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 somewhere in the middle, so it's you know, is it the one thing or is it the other thing? So you got to find it out if it suits your needs. I was at what uh, do you think? I was at the factory and the the Fender place when um, when they released the first set of Acoustasonics uh, of the new uh-huh. ones, and they were so so happy with them. And I liked the telly, the look of the telly, and I I wasn't too fond of the the Strat because it brought back memories of pub rock bands in the 90s <laughs> i don't know i just i just think the strat one looks wrong in fact we've got we've got some more photos um there's I think the, this is the, like the comparison yeah yeah there's the strat the jazz master and the telly i liked the telly um but i really like that jazz master um i i played one uh when when i played live with the guys at tolman and it was nice to play i i don't mm-hmm. see an issue with the people that hate on them um however it I think they're very expensive what they are. Mm-hmm. I think if mm-hmm. they brought one of those out built in Mexico or, or even if they could somehow do a Squire one, they you know, that you need to make those things affordable. That's it's out of the I don't know. I, I what am I trying to say? One thousand six hundred? Is that what it is? Or even more? I think one one seven fifty. Hmm. One seven fifty it's it's a lot of money for something that 
I would say is an experimental instrument. Yeah, it's like it, it fills a gap that or a need that you probably haven't even known that you yes. have like in advance. So it's something like, you know, you've got a gig and you can't bring an acoustic because it's too bulky, but you need that acoustic sound. But there's the thing, um, you know, I've, I've, I've been playing uh, uh, piezo equipped guitars earlier and, and I was really intrigued to kind of compare that, let's say, uh, Acoustasonic with an, I don't know, Music Man JP6 or something, which mm. is a, you know, 100% electric guitar plus that's some of the piezo sound. So, um, yeah, that would, that would be interesting to see how those kind of tones differ because, you know, the JP6 would be a more metal oriented or rock oriented guitar, but it can do beautiful cleans with the with the piezo bridge. So it would be interesting to see what what is more like the the convenient catch-all for, for basically everything you could need on stage. One, one thing I got from playing the, I think I played the Strat version, no, it was the television I played. It doesn't feel like I I I played acoustic for years more than electric, um, and you, the feel of playing an acoustic that be, those frequencies resonating in your chest and, and sort of really fe- you know feeling the instrument. And mm-hmm. you did you didn't get that, or I didn't get that from that strat that I played, uh, telly that I played. So yeah. it's more. I don't know. I, I'm I'm withholding judgment at the moment in the hope that Fender respond to my MySpace messages and um, <laughs> and send me one to try out so I can actually inform you with an educated inf- uh, um, opinion. There is, of course, Sting on screen right now. If you're watching the video version of this, interestingly, yeah. Dan, that that mic shield thing that he's using is from Aston Microphones, who recently got, go. recently got picked up by <laughs> Behringer. So it's nice to see. Oh, no. he's reading from an iPad Pro and all sorts. It looks, I don't know what's going on in that photo, but it looks very exciting. <laughs> and even Sting uses a clip-on tuner. Yeah, yeah. I was, I, was, I was sending you the picture just to make a point that they sent one of these to Sting, but not to you. Which is kind of sad. <laughs> Anyways, um, talking about uh, finishes because not everyone can uh, can watch the live stream. Um, I, th- I find the the finishes actually pretty appealing, especially the black one uh, with the matte black top, and then you've got that brown mahogany tone to it. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from that, I think they have like an in the middle you see the ocean turquoise, which is kind of neat, and they have a tobacco sunburst, which is like the classical solution, uh, choice. Arctic white, which is kind of red. Uh, with with that kind of bevel, that uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I really like that. What? Just read- <laughs> what? Just reading the chats. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> um, <laughs> the fact that uh, they sent one to Gordon and that one not to, not to me. <laughs> Mikhail wrote that must sting. <laughs> Oh, that's an awful, terrible joke. I love it. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> sorry, sorry, everybody. I, I'm uh, really scraping the the barrel. For, I don't know. It surprised me that it made me laugh. <laughs> Mikhail, I love you. Thank you for that. We we're gonna have to move on, Dan, because we've got Richard waiting for us in the green Absolutely. room. Um, just, just want to make one point. What, on, what annoys me about Acoustasonic is the um, the sound hole, because it's so round. Even inside, it kind of irritates me. It doesn't look like an acoustic because an acoustic is kind of it has not sharp edges, but kind of you know it's kind of well defined. But here, it's almost like a a warm hole, <laughs> you know, where all the picks will go. <laughs> Yeah, 
Yeah. I, 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 That's my point. I kind of agree with you, but I don't know what to say. It, it is odd to look at. It is odd to, to play as well. It's odd to touch. It's, I had to put my finger in it when I found it. I was like, let's have a good feel of that one. And um, I've never had to do that with an acoustic before. I've never done that with a Taylor or a Martin, but that Acoustasonic put my finger right in it. No, it's not a glory hole. <laughs> Mr. Cos. Um, let's yeah. move on to uh, this. Your yeah. second pick, sir. Your second pick. Yeah. Do you know Emily Wolf? I don't. I do not. You should ch- you should check her out. I think she's a very profound uh, fuzz user. I, I think I, she likes When fuzz I say I don't, I, I'm aware of who she is. I'm aware of some of her mm. music from social media, but I could not name a song. Mm-hmm. I could not. Um, yeah. I did know she was coming up with this guitar, though, because I recognize the, sorry, the Sheraton Stealth, or Sheraton, Emily, Emily Wolf's um, new uh, signature model from Epiphone. From Epiphone, yeah. It's got the yeah. Trini Lopez diamond uh, cutouts. So, isn't that I know, cool? I know this is your pick, but they are going to sell yeah. so many of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not necessarily an Epiphone fan at all, but I'm really digging a that they are kind of offering a signature model for a female artist that is, you know, doing a great job in you know making music and pushing the envelope of you know her style of music and uh, and she's got a very cool rough and edgy tone and i like that a lot and uh plus it combines all those kind of cool features that kind of do not belong together and it blends them together to a very cool looking guitar with the stealth look and you know like like i said the the diamond f holes and the vine uh the vine inlay on the headstock but the block inlay on the fretboard I'm, i'm really digging the looks it's it's pretty cool looks like the the uh the um uh, like BB King's daughter or something like that. You know, Lucille's daughter. Yeah, that guitar would be her daughter. Yeah, the, the rebel teenager. Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, yeah, makes, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll go with that for a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. Especially there, it looks very BB King, very Lucille. Um, th- only three knobs. So we're going master tone two volumes. Yeah. I don't know the answer. That's a complete guess. Let us know in the chat if you do know. Um, I do think it's very, very um, expensive again for an Epiphone. It's over seven hundred, like over seven hundred euros. Oh. It's I, okay. It's really okay. up there. Um, I did have the price up, but I've, I've, um, I've lost it now. But uh, it's, it reminds me that Epiphones are not, <laughs> are not. Um, are not as cheap as they used to be. I remember Epiphones being sort of 300, 400 for, an, for a standard Les Paul, and now they're sort of double that, which either mm. shows my age or, you know. <laughs> and speaking of that, I'm actually, I've got a, a Wilhelmen search out for a, a Sheraton. I want the Noel Gallagher Sheraton with the Union Jack on it. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's one guitar that I definitely do not need, but would love to add to my collection at some point in the future. Um, All right. Rick says that you seem to focus on holes a lot, Dan, which uh, I agree with him. I'm not. I'm not going down that rabbit hole. Oh dear. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I'm more, sorry. more pictures. Yeah. Oh, there's a wolf on the it's back cool. of the headstock. Look at that. Yeah. That's that's worth at yeah. least three hundred euros. Right. I'm in. <laughs> that's a nice detail. I like it. Okay. Don't forget, we're going to be playing um, buy, borrow, or burn. So yeah. we're gonna, we've got four picks this week. So we've got the Epiphone. Whoop gonna say lucille then um the emily wolf <laughs> and the the jazz master Sonic. should we move on to my pick and then get rich in 
Yep. Here we go. Andy's pick of the week. First up, an amplifier, Dan. A solid-state oh. amplifier um, from Quilter. All and right. it's, uh, it's called the Aviator Cub, and it's a 50-watt solid-state amp that... I, I was going to say models. Uh, I don't know if it's fair to say models, but it it sounds like three different Fender style amps: the Tweed, the Blonde, and the mm-hmm. Black. So you've got the Fender Tweed. <laughs> I'm why, sorry. Why is that funny? <laughs> what are you laughing at now? <laughs> when you said the Blonde, the Black, and it was uh, I was just going somewhere in a direction I didn't want to go. You went to an internet meme. Okay, fair enough. Um, tweed, <laughs> yeah, of, of yeah, course, is yeah. the Fender Tweed. Come back to me, Dan. The blonde is, uh, I'm guessing, the twin, <laughs> twin, twin, twin reverb, and the black okay. is the the 65 um, deluxe reverb, which is one of my favorite amps, and I do indeed use it mostly in my my videos. <laughs> so I want to try right. this because it's a solid state. I think modeling amp makes it sound less than it is. The interesting yeah. thing is that the price of this is 599 euros. All right. So you're getting three Fender Sands, a Quilter amp, which they make some of the best solid-state amplifiers out there, possibly the best. Um, Certainly one of the best that I've played. And uh, uh, you've got a 12-inch eminent speaker, a lightweight cabinet. If it sounds any good, I could see me having one of those. All right. Please behave yourself in the chat. You're making Dan giggle. <laughs> so there's the three inputs. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if, 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 oh, good God. <laughs> so anyway, that's the Aviator Cub from, uh, from Quilter. That's my pick. And we're moving on to my next pick is the Line 6 Podgo Wireless, which is a pod. <laughs> And you can go with it, but this time it's wireless. So you've got this little, oops, you've got this little transmitter that goes in the back and it becomes wireless. Yep. That I is went, smart. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, the Pod Go is, is really, really good. I played one at the Birmingham mm-hmm. Guitar Show uh, 2020, yes. <laughs> um, and you I'm sound just, like an old man. I tried that. Oh, oh, I was yeah, in 2020. Way back in 2020 when we could <laughs> touch people and converse in public. Uh, 629 euros, roughly, which is what Tom's got it going for. It's, I'm not sure the price is official. Um, a little spot in the back for your Relay G10T2 to plug into. and I I'm, I'm guess it's also a charging port as well. That's a great addition to something that's already... Great. So it's got some of the effects of the HS, HX effects. Uh, it's nice and pretty, nice and colorful. I think that's I like a, it. Yeah. Uh, it, yep. What do you think of the price? We'll see where it's headed. You know, at okay. the moment, I think that, that there's not a, not a lot of, uh, you know, fluctuation, especially because uh, the supply is not there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could, could totally see that being sold at a very good price in the near future. You know, if the next generation comes out or you know, any kind of updates. That's always the kind of the neat thing about those like more modern uh, pieces of gear. 
if you wait a little, it's like with the new iPhone, you can get a pretty good deal and still have a great tone. So I, agree. I would wait. If I was in the market for that thing, I would wait a little bit and be, Ooh, be patient. Good tip. Well, Max Solo is in the chat and he says he has a pod go, which is still waiting for a video. Come on, Max, <laughs> give us that video. I need that Max Solo opinion on that one. Mm. Speaking of opinions, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Buy, borrow, or burn let's go to the chats so we've got uh thank you rosalie again for these little flags that she brought for us and <laughs> made for us sorry we've got the podgo from me we've got the aviator cub from me um where is dan's dan's we've got the emily wolf epiphone sheraton and the fender jazzmaster acoustasonics uh-huh. which would you buy which would you borrow from a friend and which would you burn there are four things, so one thing actually gets ignored, um, which doesn't really work. We need to work on this section a little bit. But uh, um, Dan, which would mm-hmm. you buy? Mm, the Line 6, but after some waiting time. Really? I did not expect that. You'd buy the Pod Go. Why not? I think uh, it's pretty handy. Not knocking. I just, I just, the way you were talking about it, I thought you were going to completely <laughs> ignore it. Okay. I no, would, no, 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 no. I would buy nice the Quilter. Device. I'd buy the Quilter, I think. I'd need to play it. Okay. But out of all the gear this week, that's the one that turns me on the most. Mm-hmm. Um, if I may go ahead with my borrow, I would borrow this Jazzmaster Acoustasonic. No. Yeah. No, because I would borrow it from you. Oh. Well, um, I'd borrow it, and then I think I might get on with it well. I like the quirky offsets, so you're also going to borrow the the Acoustasonic. (laughs) That's good. Uh, Before we go for burn, let's check the chat. We've got Ninja would buy the pod, borrow the blonde and the Epiphone, and burn the fenders. Okay. Sarang would buy Epiphone, borrow the Quilter, and burn the Acoustasonics. Bergie in France would burn it all. Okay, thank you. I don't think you really understood the the point of the game, mate, but it's nice that you're playing. Um, Buy the quilter, borrow the pod, burn the Acoustasonic for Michael. I'm expecting quite a lot of hate for the Fenders. I'm expecting. (laughs) Rescue gear. Oh, this is so nice. Buy the Mm. Fender for me, the quilter for you, Andy, and burn the rest. Ah. I'm assuming that's that's Victor. Thank you, Victor. Uh, Valeria, let's hear what Valeria has to say. She will burn the fender, buy the Podgo wireless after signing hers. <laughs> okay, so she's already got Podgo and borrow the quilter. <laughs> nice. Yes. Yeah, okay, that's nice. Um, one more. Let's let's read that. Two more. Uh, Brisley Adams was distracted by the whole story. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he means the entire story. What's with the cub? Podgirl wouldn't mind buy, buying Acoustasonic only in the Squire version. I think that's a really relevant comment. I think if they bring out yeah. a Squire version, yeah. I think they're going to nail that one. Um, and Artie Smudge would buy the Fender, borrow the pod, and burn the Epiphone. Sorry. Don't be sorry. Just play the game. Yeah. Okay. Um, burn, Dan. Which one are you going to burn, my friend? Got to be one of them. The cup, because... I can't keep my composure when it's around. You burn the cup. How dare you? I would kick it like a four-year-old girl when it's around. Whenever okay. I just plug my guitar in. That's fair. I, I don't think I can show that on screen with you being on there. In that case, what would I have to burn? I'm oh, I'm gonna hate myself for this by 
but it's just by process of elimination. I have to burn Sting. <laughs> no, I have to burn the Epiphone. I'm really sorry, Emily Wolf. Oh, to, Emily. Only through process of elimination, and I think it's too expensive. I, I, yeah, I, I think it's Fair too point. expensive. Okay. If that's the official price, I would yeah. like to see Epiphones come down in price again. Uh, but here's the thing, you know, you remember when sorry. we talked last week about, about the containers? Yes. Um, you know, prices have to increase because at, at the moment, if you if you are paying like two times or three times the price of a regular container, yeah. and, you know, That's true. every single unit has to increase in price a little bit. So, yeah. But actually, I would, I'm, I'm actually eyeing on, on getting Emily Wolf to the podcast. That would be cool in a future episode. In that case. She would be, <laughs> she'd be a great guest. But then we don't. We just ignore that we said you remember that time Andy said he'd burn your guitar. No, (laughs) but only through process of yeah elimination. (laughs) I can't burn the pod because I think it's useful. Can't burn the acoustics because everybody's burned all the rest of them, and I actually want to try one. I have to uh, the cub now that Dan makes it makes him laugh. I have to have to buy that. (laughs) And what was the other one? Um, there was something else. Never mind. Anyway, Emily Wolf, very sorry. <laughs> Please join us. Um, and Celebrity Skin was by the band Hole. Oh, I see what you did there, Artie Smudge. I fell right into that one. All right. Um, I would love, <laughs> dirty, dirty I'd love to smudge. bring Richard Shaw on the on the on the show right now. The guitar player from Cradle of Filth. I'm very excited to have him join us. Oh, he's just calling Dan right now. Yep. Hey. Hey. Yeah, we're ready. He's on All Skype. Right. He's yeah, watching yeah. the show. Um, I am not <laughs> brave enough to add him to this Skype chat, Dan. What I'm going to do, I'm going to hang up and call again, like we do in this very smooth um, transition, which will be me saying, um, oops, are you there? So, um, Dan, I'm going to hang up on you, my friend. Yep. And you can ask okay. whoever that is, and I'll, I'll do another chat um, in a moment. So... Podcast people, live YouTube people, it is just you and I right now. Dan is gone. There will be no more laughing about all that stuff. Richard is there. I've got his name ready, and I'm going to add add Dan to the chat. And if you've got any questions for Richard, by the way, then please let me know. Here we go. Here we go. There we go. Calling that. And then I can now um, mess with the guest thing. And Richard, if you come on, the guys won't be able to hear you just yet. Or rather, they won't be able to see you. But Dan is back. Um, hello. hello, Dan. We're just waiting for Richard to answer the call. Um, while we do that, I will read through the chat. Hold on a sec. Oh, there he is. <laughs> I'm, here. I'm here. My webcam seems to have gone to a, a different setting. Hold oh, on nice. a sec. <laughs> <laughs> Let's sort this out. Good old this, this is live. Yes. Hang on, I, I'm enjoying seeing other people having technical issues. <laughs> oh man, Evan, you're looking good. This is one hell of an entrance, isn't it? It is. Yeah. We can always cut this. Is it, is... Do the do the Men in Black. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hold on a sec. That's brilliant. All right. It's not picking it up. I can continue. I can find ways to do it. Are you sure, sir? There we go. Oh, oh, we got some ex- exciting yeah, no, stuff. Yeah. 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 There we go. Yes. Uh, That's much better. 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome cool. to awesome. the Guitar Stories podcast, Mr. Richard Shaw. There's, Hello. All. Imagine that people are clapping and, and going mad because I know that there are people here specifically for you, sir. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, thanks for having me on. You're you're welcome. You've got almost more boxes than Dan has in your background. Yeah, what's wrong? <laughs> it's amazing. Are you moving all to? My, all my Skype lessons at the moment always kind of talk about my background with this ever-growing boxes. But yes, I am moving. I'm actually living with the in-laws at the moment because I sold my house back in October and we're moving into our new house next week. So it's been a long time waiting for our new house to actually be finished, uh, the whole move to be complete. So we're nearly there. We're nearly there. Awesome. awesome. What are the chances that you and me were both moving to the new house next week? <laughs> what a coincidence, right? Weird. I've got like three Skype students who are all moving like next week wow. as well. It just seems okay. everyone wants to move next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 quite cool. happy where I am at the moment. <laughs> I have no And where are you? <laughs> Me, I'm in Austria. Yeah. Upper Austria. Someone's doing it, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm I moved here and have a left back. UK. I was in the UK, yeah. yeah, you might guess from the accent. I'm from Gloucestershire. And Oh, I just thought that was a really interesting Austrian accent. No, there is I do have a very interesting Austrian accent, but this is not it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah it, it's I just want some bread please bitte schön <laughs> bitte schön danke schön bitte danke very much pardon richard yeah tar very much, yeah, very much. is the uh derbyshire way <laughs> is it is it richard or is there some other way that you'd like to be addressed uh your highness yeah <laughs> no, 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 Rich or Richard, it's absolutely fine. Okay, all right, Johannes. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rich, Richard, Rich, I'll jump between the two. May I give you a little bit of backstory before we jump into your story? Um, of course. Great. I, I'm uh, I'm going on a metal journey this year. Well, it didn't really start in January; it started the end of 2020 because. Um, I grew up playing guitar in the 90s. I was really into grunge and fuzz pedals and that sort of stuff and, and stayed very far away from metal, very far away because I, want, I was more sort of less accurate, um, more noise than notes and just pure angst, I guess. And then I don't know what happened to me, but maybe hanging out with Dan, um, I suddenly started getting into metal and sort of it was it was um, it was affecting me emotionally you know i could i could get into the music and since then i i'm trying it and and as a guitar player also you know going into that sort of more um i would say more educated playing more precise playing more uh definite playing and through that i started listening to your band cradle of filth and also ghost oh why um and Ghost as well. Oh, yes, cool. I, I love Ghost. I know that you were playing in a um, a tribute band for Ghost. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. It looks it. Getting to play dress up. I get to play dress up for my day job, but also play dress up for uh, like <laughs> other bands when I'm back home. Just a different kind of dress up. It's very cool. Yeah. I don't know how the guys in Ghost do it because there's zero peripheral vision when I played with that tribute band. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's my story, and that's kind of why you're here. Um, so it's not just us getting anybody on the show. I am. I'm, I have so many questions for you that I'm hoping you're going to answer without me asking, because uh, 
I feel a bit um, embarrassed by my ignorance, shall I say. But it's not that I don't know. It's that I, I'm, I'm a newcomer to this style of music. But I know that we have some people in the chat. I know Dan is um, very excited as well. So I guess, Dan, do you want to take over for a minute while I recompose myself or decompose myself? Yeah, sure. Decompose. <laughs> actually, actually, I've, I've got a private, a private question before we go into the gear talk. How do you move your guitars from from your in-laws to the new house? Do you have like a company or do you carry them like in, in cases each uh, one by themselves? In the cases, yeah. I've got some in storage because uh, I own about 10 guitars. Oh, uh, right. So okay. most of them are in storage at the moment, but I've oh, got right. three of them that I keep uh, for teaching purposes and for doing session work remotely. So I've got mm -hmm. one that I'm just keeping kind of E-standard um one for d standard which cradle tune to uh so when i can do some writing and teach some down tune stuff and the cradle stuff i use that and i've just got an acoustic as well again for teaching and session purposes so this whole move has made me realize do i really need all 10 guitars and the answer is <laughs> yes yes i do because i miss them <laughs> and i hope they miss me too yeah. <laughs> probably yeah. So, so what what would be your your number one guitar if you had to narrow it down to just one, like the oh. the do it all guitar? What what that I own? Yeah. Oh, this this one here. I'll get it out of the case. Oh. Oh, this right. one. This is my 1993 PRS Custom 24. Oh wow! So yeah, with the old tiny right. headstock, right? Yeah, and all that. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's pretty this, cool. this thing's a workhorse, all original. Uh, I bought this on tour in Germany uh, back in 2015. Oh, wow. And they tried to sell it to me saying it's a 1992. And I was like, it's not a 1992, it's a 1993. I want 100 euros off it. Um, so I was kind of <laughs> cheeky. I'm like, how do you know? And it's like, it's really easy with PRS because it says on the back. And it says yeah. on the back of headstock what year it was made. So it's like there's no getting out of it. But uh, this thing plays like a dream. I've got friends of mine who hate PRS guitars, like our guitar tech at the time who worked Cradle for years and years and years. He was he notoriously didn't really like PRSs. He was very much a Gibson and a Fender guy. He played this in the guitar shop with me and said, if you don't buy it, I will. Wow. Oh, wow. And, and, and everyone who's played it regardless of what company they have loyalty to they've got mm -hmm. there's something about this guitar it's just mm -hmm. it's got some kind of mojo but i've got this one and then i'll show the other one which this one is i don't want to sound pretentious but that should be well known to cradle phil fans this is the one yeah that basically i've mm. played every single show pretty much apart from the first tour i did uh this has done every single show and this one i i got this in canada uh because my main guitar at the time actually my main and my backup didn't arrive it didn't go actually go on the plane from london to canada and they're like oh don't worry that your guitars will arrive this time tomorrow and we're like well this time tomorrow we're on stage so <laughs> what are we gonna do uh so we went to a, a store in uh, Steve's music in Montreal and they had that this is like one of the first S2s they hadn't had the yeah. S2s in the UK at the time and it came in that morning and they had this one and like a dark green coloured one and I was like I want to try that because I like my single cut stuff for, for Cradle mm -hmm. and uh, yeah I fell in love with it bought it and brought it back home with me and it's been used on 
the Hammer of the Witches album. It's been used on all my electric guitar parts on the new album. That's not come out yet. Um, but I've changed the pickups in it to the Seymour Duncan Alpha Omegas for Mark Holcomb signature pickups. All right. Mm-hmm. Because I tracked the Cryptoriana album with the Mark Holcomb signature PRS. And the producer was like, those pickups are insane. See if you can get them in the uh, in the main Cradle Live guitar. So I got mm-hmm. hold of Mark. Mark being a, luckily Mark being a Cradle fan and me being a periphery fan, hit it off immediately. He got in touch with Seymour Duncan and they sent me a set out, which was really cool. Change for bridge just for the uh, better intonation and all that on uh-huh. the road. Uh, and I sh- uh, shaved the neck, so oh, it's nice. been shaved down just. Just for anti-sweat on, on when it's a uh, live shows and stuff. So the custom twenty-four is more of a studio thing. You we won't really see that uh, on Craigler Filth shows, but this is the workhorse that's been around mm-hmm. the world all times, and it's got the scars to prove it. All right. Can I ask about the neck? Yeah. Have you have you oiled it, or what's the deal with the neck, man? Uh, well, that was just because I'll be honest with you, I didn't do it myself. I say I did, I didn't do it, but but um. From what I gather, it was just take the lacquer off. I believe it was oiled, uh, but mm-hmm. my guitar techs don't seem to do anything to the neck that I know of. Uh, they just kind of leave it as it is. Uh, and my backup's exactly the same, but my backup's in storage at the moment. So this just stays in D standard or drop C for the regular filter stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love it. This has got, got a lot of miles on it. A lot mm-hmm. of love. Awesome. SC two hundred fifty. That is a what what's the color called? Is it charcoal black or anything I think, else? I think I think this was elephant grey, if I remember. Oh correctly. wow. Yeah, okay. elephant okay. grey, I think they called it, but I, I'm not too sure because it seemed like pretty much instantly they changed the S2 range a little bit. So it's kind of like when they first came out, the S2 range that my backup guitar is is, is very different to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it had the scratch plate on it and different colour options. Um, so I was very lucky to get this one because it suits the aesthetic mm-hmm. of Cradle as well. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you differ in terms of the string gauges that you're using depending on the tunings or is that something where you're pretty consistent... I'll use in E standard. I'll use ten to forty six. But I'm thinking okay. to elevens uh, for E standard. Uh, but at the moment, I'm on eleven to fifty six uh, mm. for D standard. So I just because obviously Cradle you use a lot of a tremolo picking, and when we're mm-hmm. playing live, naturally there's that little bit extra bit of adrenaline. So I tend to hit harder when I'm playing live, and I find that instead of having a 52, if I just have a 56, kind of overcompensates for me getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> so the tuning is a little bit better. <laughs> the adrenaline gauge. <laughs> it, it is the adrenaline gauge. Like, weirdly enough, in the studio, I will. I still use 11 to 56 in the studio, but that's because I'm more doing the drop C thing as well. Um mm-hmm. And I've kind of gotten used to 11 to 56, even when I'm just tracking guitars or playing at home. Uh, so I don't know, maybe with every other tour, I'll go up another gauge because I kind of get used to it playing in a studio situation or a practice situation. And when I go to play live, I find myself hitting the strings really hard again. I don't know if I need to go up another gauge or or what, but we'll see. Obviously, whenever we can eventually go back on tour again, that's when I'll find out. Mm, awesome. And just one, one one more question about the the custom twenty four. That's um, 
that uh, amber finish, right? And it's got that those kind of oh, old old school yeah, moon, moon inlays, right? Yeah, this has got moon the moon inlays. Uh, I always wanted this guitar because this I always associated PRS because I've been using PRS since I was sixteen when I got the remember the first ever Santana SE. Yes, yeah, sure. One. That was yeah, the yeah. first one where I was like, "Oh my god, I can finally own a PRS." Which color uh, did you get? Which I color got the red get? one. I yeah, me all, too. Me I think too. there was four colors at the time, and the red one just—I don't know—there was something about it. And I was like, "Right, I yeah. finally own a PRS." And I got a job at, on the salad bar at Morrison's just so I could buy that guitar. Brilliant! And I did, and then weirdly, six months later, a friend of mine at school came in with a real custom twenty-four. <laughs> a real American one. And I was like, how the hell did you afford that? Bear in mind, we were like 16. And he told me about this brilliant thing called finance. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, game over. When I realized, oh, monthly installments, I can own any gear I want. That was dangerous. <laughs> so, yeah. How much salad so, do you need to sell for a custom 24? That's a lot of salad. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of salad. A lot of salad. I think that the going rate was like £3.20 an hour, something like that, when I was 16. So it was like, that was a lot of salad. Oh, I went into um, <laughs> to what's now PMT, so it would have in Bristol, and um, with the intention of buying a Santana, and the guy just kept handing mm. me more expensive PRS guitars till I got to about three and a half grand, <laughs> and I walked out with nothing because I couldn't not then buy the Santana having played the three grand one, and um, I remember yeah. going out and being so yeah. confused. <laughs> It's a weird one because I still got that Santana SE and oh, wow. okay. thing. Like when I was teaching in in person, going around people's houses and stuff, that was still my main teaching guitar. Yeah. And I still love that thing. It's yeah, the, the, the SE range has continued to get better and better and better. Like I said, I've got the Mark Holcomb SE that I recorded the Cryptoriana album with, and I'm on I'm that guy who's on PRS forums and stuff, and I mentioned but I used it to record an album and you get all the PRS purists going, what? You used an SE on an actual album? Not like a demo? And you're like, yeah. Amazing guitars. They are brilliant guitars. And the SEs have continued to get better and better and better. So have the S2s. The cores are always as good as ever, but their finishes are just getting more outrageous. And it's, you could probably tell I I gush over PRS, but I've been a fan since (laughs) my early 2000s. Thanks to the new metal scene of the early 2000s, when it seemed like every band was using a PRS. And being a Santa as well. So... Do you do you remember back in the day when they released the uh, the the Asian version of the the PRS the Santana SE that there was I don't know if that was just a story that had been told in in Germany but there was that that rumor going on that like when they presented it to Santana that he assumed that it was the US made guitar I don't know if that's just marketing I, blah blah I or stuff like that story like you say I don't know what's fact and what's fiction yeah, it's like, yeah. it sounds like the perfect dream to go look if you buy an SE yeah. Young kids, all of you buy an SE. <laughs> himself said, you know, I don't, but I don't know. It worked with me because, like I say, being a fan of it, seemed like around the early 2000s, all my favorite bands who were using Les Pauls, or yeah, most yeah. of them, I should say, were moving to PRS. And I was yeah. like, well, there's something in this. And then when I, tr- I actually was looking to buy a Gibson Les Paul, uh, and every yeah. single one I just, didn't like 
when I oh, knew right. about finance, I was like, right, I tried out about 20 Les Pauls. And the guy in the shop was like, well, here's a PRS. I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that because I had my heart set on a Gibson Les Paul. And I already had the SE at home anyway. And then I picked up one PRS and I was like, this blew all the Les Pauls out of the water. Mm-hmm. But saying that, I would still love a Les Paul because – I still try them out all the time. And the ones that I seem to like are the ones that are ridiculously out of my price range. So <laughs> I seem to find the, the holy grail of of Les Pauls. And it's like, how much is that? Oh, 12 grand. Okay, never mind. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. That's hard to justify, but it, as, as it's your job, awesome. then... It is hard to justify, especially... That's the thing, it is my job. And it is tax deductible to a certain extent. But, um, <laughs> Very important. But at the same time, you're thinking there's, there's other things I could spend money on. I, and I, I, I am a geek, like a gear geek. But over the years of playing so many different guitars and buying and selling so many different guitars, and over the years, I think I've just got to the point where I know what I want for what I need, if that makes sense. Especially having, I mean, this is... I've been in Cradle of Phil for seven years now and just on my th- third album with the band. We're writing a f- my fourth album with the band right now. And over the years, you kind of whittle it down to, right, this is what I need for the job at hand. Mm-hmm. Like, I like all kinds of guitars, but do I need it for what I do with Cradle? Do I need it for whatever session work I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Probably not, because I've got a PRS that is covered me for every single musical scenario that I've done since I became a professional musician like 15 years ago ah. so let's um let's talk about your guitar what story because uh, I can yeah. I was going to ask you if you're into gear but it was very clear that you are when, when your eyes lit up and you started speaking very very quickly about all your two guitars that was really cool to listen to <laughs> guitar story I saw a video of you on YouTube where you were giving a masterclass and you were talking about someone asked you can you play country yes can you play jazz yes can you play funk or whatever yes and you were talking about just saying yes to everything so can you talk to us a little bit about um, being a professional guitar player and then maybe how you joined Cradle? Yeah, well, the quickest backstory, picked up guitar when I was 11 and I've always just been to, into loads of different styles of music. My mum and dad weren't musicians, but we always had music on in the house, uh, even if it was just on the radio or MTV or whatever. Um, and I just picked up guitar because of the greats like Queen, Zeppelin, Metallica, you know, every kind of traditional kind of rock band you can think of, like any other 11-year-old's kind of story, picking up guitar. And and to fast forward, when I was 18, I went to the Academy of Contemporary Music in Guildford. And that was the eye-opener for me because I I knew before I went there, I was like, okay, I want to be a pop session guitar player. And I right. still would love to do that. Like back playing guitar for all these pop artists, I think it would be a lot of fun. Do that or do musical theater. Oh, and that wow. was the thing. And then it, and, uh, it occurred to me, like when I got to ATM, it's like, right, if you want to do this, you need to know your fretboard theory. You need to know how to sight read. You need to have a good ear. Uh, you need to have really good rhythm chops, get really in the pocket. Like the chord knowledge needs to be second to none. And it was really strange. Like 
the need for me to be able to like sweet pick and tap and all, all the cra- like the crazy metal guitar acrobatics like because I was a huge Steve Vai fan like, I just wanted to be a, the next Steve Vai as I'm sure every young guitar player wanted to be around that time and I was like well Steve Vai went to music school so I'll go to music school and then as I was at ACM it I was kind of being introduced to like all these different players who were introducing me to different styles of music but probably other styles I was like okay I'm not too into that but because they were really into it they'd show you the cream of the crop so next thing you know you're in I'm getting into jazz I'm getting into um kind of some I don't know South American metal that I'd never heard before in my life you know you're hearing some kind of German pop that I would never have heard otherwise and and it really broadened my horizons and then obviously having the teachers and all the people there and you're kind of like learning from a little bit of everybody so I kind of gave up on the whole metal thing and well not gave up on it because I had bands back home I was like I'm still playing rock I'm still playing metal just for fun but this is never going to be a career (laughs) ironically so i went home and did the whole teaching guitar thing because i was like well i'm gonna go home i can either go to stay in guildford or move to london and be the struggling musician like everybody else is or at least i can go home back to derbyshire live with my parents and be a struggling musician but somewhere else and so i went for that option but then Mm -hmm. i realized in a weird way as cocky as this sounds i don't mean it to sound that way but it occurred to me I was like well where I was there wasn't many people doing what I was doing like they were like people needed guitar teachers to a certain ability and they didn't seem to be able to find one so that's when I was like okay I'll stop teaching out of necessity to go well I don't want to go back to working at Morrison's on the salad bar <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> teach guitar for, for because it's a stopgap. And then I ended up finding I loved teaching guitar through teaching, because uh, I was teaching in primary and secondary schools and, and colleges. They're like, oh, we're doing like a school show. Would you play guitar for the school show? You read music. There you go. And, and that's weirdly enough, I got into playing in amateur and semi pro kind of musical theater stuff. And I was like, well, this is it. I'm earning a living as a guitar player. This is amazing. I could pay the bills playing guitar. Not exactly what I wanted, but yeah. that was the dream, just to earn a living playing Absolutely. guitar. I'd already achieved it at like 21. Like, oh, this is amazing. Fast forward seven years, I get a call out of the blue from a guy called Matt Rowley, who I've known for years because he'd been like producing local bands and stuff, but he also went on the road with a lot of bands, including Cradle of Filth, and I was playing guitar for a musical that he played, uh, sorry, he was doing the sound for. So when Cradle of Filth were looking for a guitar player, it was getting pretty bleak. It was about four or five weeks before a tour was meant to start and Paul wasn't going to do the tour. So they they started asking the crew. They were auditioning people all over the world, but none of them were getting a, a, a tape in in time mm-hmm. like an audition video and that became pretty serious so they go right okay we we need a crew to ask around see if they can ask anybody was and it then, just a question was it was the material so challenging that they weren't able to get that in or were there any any other reasons I, for that I, I really don't know that's the thing i really don't know what was going on 
Uh-huh. Uh, can you still see me in here? You're okay. fine. The, the picture's getting a little bit rough. Just checking. I don't um, know. I am fiddling with it a little bit to. Uh... That's, that's weird. Okay, see what I can do, Mayan. Oh, yeah, please carry on. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what it was. They kept asking me. They kept asking me uh, if they of auditions and like, well, we'll give you an extra few days to get the the tracks in. And I, I was asked to play Thulu Dawn and Born in a Burial Gown. Um, and I got the audition tape in that day. And they were like, well, oh, this wow. guy's serious because he's learned these two songs like only a few hours after we called him, he's got the audition tape ready. Mm. So then it was like, oh, well, he's in, right? And I still to this day thought I was in because I was the cheapest option. <laughs> because I was the only guy from the UK. <laughs> so to this day, I still was like, well, if anybody else <laughs> from the UK would got it, they, they would have got the job. So, it, it, yeah, it, 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 that's the way I, I thought about it. I was like, okay, I'm the cheapest option. I was only meant to come in to do the one tour, uh, just oh, wow. a European okay. tour. Thank you very much. Fill in for Paul, get paid, go home, put it on the CV, Thank you very much. There you go. <laughs> and then when <laughs> right. we were on the way home from that show, from the last show, which was in Berlin, on March 1st, 2014, that was my, uh, on the way home, Danny just turned around to me and said, well, do you want to keep doing it? Because Paul's not coming back and we like you. Do you write? Do you write music? Because up until then, I was only a session guy uh-huh. playing the songs that had already been written. Uh, uh, and I was like, yeah, right, but not necessarily in this style, but I can give it a go. <laughs> and uh, and I've been in the band ever since, so I, I must have done something right. Yeah. I'm not cool. sex and for, the, for the first tour when you filled in for Paul, did you uh, did you bring your own gear or, or uh, were you supposed to play like instruments that were in the same style? Like Because he, he had a, a SE signature guitar, right? Yeah, he had a signature SE and he had like a private stock. All right, full, okay. Which yeah. was gorgeous, that thing was. Absolutely amazing. Unfortunately, I've never seen it up close. But because um, <laughs> obviously I've not been in the band at the same time as him, so I never got to see it. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> But I think it's just a weird thing that I happened to play PRS. Right, and okay. I, I used a combination of single cuts and double cuts, but I gravitated towards the single cut more to separate myself from Paul because I already knew we already used the same brand. So I'm going to use single cuts just to separate myself away from him a little bit more. Mm. Um, but that was it i was just told literally bring two guitars a main and a backup everything else will be sorted for you we had like amps in storage back then we were still using heads and cabs that were mic'd up so i was back on that first tour i was using a mess boogie dual rectifier and a rooster tube 12 cab have you heard of rooster no never before everyone i talked to it is literally one of the best cabs i've ever heard in my life I don't know where it's based. I need to do some research to try and find one because yeah. the way we had that sound hooked up, this was the first time I ever had a guitar tech, first time I was ever on a tour bus. And the guitar tech, uh, Asti, he basically, because I, I, I love Mesa Boogie Amps, but I never seem to get a good sound of it out of it myself. It's almost like there's this secret to dialing it in. <laughs> and Asti knew the secret. I tried it. I was like, yeah. Yeah, it just feels like it's lacking something, but they're amazing amps. I don't get it. He literally spent like two seconds tweaking it. Play that. I was like, oh my 
God, that's amazing. Especially through that Rooster 2B12 cab. We could possibly now, help you out here, Richard. So we've got people watching us live. They've got internet. There are 46 people, right? We've got 46 potential Googlers for you. So what was in the in the Rooster? What speakers? I have no idea. I'm going to have to do some digging around to see if Cradle still have that 2x12. Because uh, we've not used Heads and Cabs Live for quite a long time, since about the tail end of 2014, weirdly enough. Oh, wow. um, so that was the last time we used Heads and Cabs, and we, we've been going digital ever since. Like We've used all kinds of stuff digital. I know you've been playing the more so, uh, oh. preamp lives. Sorry, Dan. Um, no what are you running now, digital? Uh, that's a very good question because we were trying new stuff for the tour that never was <laughs> because of COVID. So there's talk of us using the Quad Cortex in the future, the Neural DSP Quad Cortex. I don't know if we will, but there's talk of it happening because we're talking with Neural DSP, at least our crew are, who are setting everything up. We're getting a whole new big production. Everything's having a massive overhaul in terms of how we do sound and lights and visuals and all kinds of stuff so it's we're going to be like proper on it with technology from the sounds of it um but i mean we went from the the mess of boogies to the kempers mm-hmm. uh and we, so the only reason we went to campus is because we were doing a tour of russia at the end of 2014 and because we were still using heads and cabs i remember our tour manager saying well we're gonna have a lot of hard work even trying to rent a marshal when we're over there because Russia just doesn't do Marshall, or they do, but they're very hard to get hold of, let alone anything else. Uh, we can get hold of a Yarosov amp, which Yarosov amps are amazing if you've never tried them. I thought they were brilliant when I tried those over in Russia. Um, so we went on to campus purely out of necessity. It was like, well, at least we can carry them. We get the same sound every night. Let's try it out. Me being an analog guy, I was like, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in it. Like two fairies. I was like, I don't believe in digital. And then we tried the campus through sound check, and I was like, you know what? That that does sound pretty cool, actually. <laughs> that's, a, that's that's cool. I like it. And so we did that for a while. We tried the Moore preamps. We were using those for like a whole tour cycle throughout 2018. Wow. Then we went to the Moore uh, preamp live basically the same thing, but with the inbuilt cab sim and all that kind of stuff, like, cause we were using the preamp live with the radar cab sim, then the preamp live, we used those for a bit. And then in 2019 tour, we were like, okay, the, the mirrors as good as they are, they weren't quite cutting it in the mix. Um, so we went over to positive grid bias minis. Mm. So we used those throughout all of 2019. And then we we're like, they are great. They're very, very, very good. We can still find something better. And we were toying around with lots of different things and then just COVID hit. So we never actually decided what we were going to use from that point onwards. But this talk of us using the quad cortex. That seems very to be the new, the new pinnacle. Transition, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious to try it because I've not tried it yet, but... I love Neural DSP's plugins and I've been using them for a lot of session work that I've been doing remotely um, and writing and demoing and things. And they, they sound brilliant. Um, but I'm curious about the Neural DSP in a live setting because obviously mm. in a studio setting, it's brilliant, but live and studio can be two very different beasts. So yeah. we'll see how it compares. Sure. 
So, Rich, what's what's the actual stage situation for you? Like, you you're only using in ears, or do you have any kind of indicator, um, you know, about the 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 sound that, that you're supposed to move and, and convey to the audience? Is that like, do you have any cab like just, a side fill or anything, or is it just no. in ears and that's it? <laughs> it's just in ears. Sit, wow. uh, like when I first joined, it was like very punk rock in a weird way it was like we had the heads and the cabs but they were off stage um but we had good old-fashioned wedges and that's what i've always been used to i've been i'm that guy who before cradle of filth was used to musical theater orchestra pits where there's zero monitoring um or <laughs> pubs and clubs where there's zero monitoring <laughs> where you, you the sound i'm hearing is basically from a 2 by 12 or a 4 by 12 that's blasting behind the back of my knees yeah so that's the sound i was used to hearing live so when all of a sudden we had a monitor engineer and i had my own wedge i was like oh my god i'm living the dream this is it i've made it i've made it i have my own monitor i've this is it this is what it feels like to be a professional guitar player this is amazing um and then we did that for a while but Danny being Danny, uh, uh, as much as I love him, he, 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 our singer, for those people who don't know Danny, that he'd walk around the stage and every now and again he'd get caught in the moment and he'd say to our monitor guy, turn the guitar down in this wedge. And then I'd go back to that wedge and go, where the hell's my guitar sound gone? It turns out Danny had asked to turn it down while he was performing on that side of the stage. So, um, But um, there was a decision around 2017, I think, that from all shows on the start of the Cryptoriana tour onwards, uh, we were going to go to in-ears. And literally, these are my in-ears. I've literally got a set of Shaw SE215s. Oh, wow. That's pretty it. standard. Me it's too. Not- pretty <laughs> standard. So I've a couple of sets of these. I've... Uh, monitor guys as, as pretentious as it sounds monitor guys and cradle love me because they say I'm not a monitor wimp because literally it's like can you hear yourself yes let's do a gig <laughs> I'm not that's all I need and, and, and the monitor guys even laugh at my mix because there's barely any guitar in my mix I have no vocals I have barely enough guitar just to check that I'm in tune that's about it uh, and I have a lot of bass keys and drums so I oh, wow. can tell that I'm playing in time. And just, a, as I say, a little tickle of me, just so I can tell that I'm, whether I'm in tune or not. And that's it. Because I think it's just from years of playing pubs and clubs and not having the best monitoring in the world. But when I did do gigs where I could hear myself really well, I almost found it off-putting. It's like oh, when wow. you've played a martial stack for the first time in your <laughs> life and you play a gig, because I've done this, it's a big, probably one of the worst shows i ever played, where the... the um, this was way before I joined Cradle with one of my bands back home and they were like do you want to try this I think it was a Black Star like stack and I was like yeah let's do it worst decision I ever made because it was the most off-putting guitar sound in my life purely because it was being blasted right in my head and I've yeah. never heard a guitar how, how many people play guitar with their head against the cone of the amp <laughs> That's probably the worst sound you could possibly ever have. And it's blaring at your head. And it was very off-putting to play one of the worst shows ever. And I've kind of weirdly enough had that same mentality even with in-ears. It was like, well, I tried turning my guitar up. And and during the show, I'd be going, turn me down, turn me down. Because I just found it too off-putting. 
But I'm grateful to have any kind of monitoring, but obviously in Cradle, we're very, very lucky. We have designated text and stuff. We make sure everything's perfect for us. But I just go, yeah, there's sound coming out, so I'm good. We can do a show. <laughs> That's great. That's Sounds great. like a dream working with and you. Was it like a big... <laughs> that sounds like a dream working with you yeah I, I, I'm relatively easy going like, I, I wouldn't even mind doing my own guitar tech stuff because I just love working on guitars and I, I, I'm that weird guy who even loves restringing guitars I, I, oh wow I, I, yeah I, I don't know why I find it slightly relaxing Right. I don't know why. Andy, you can you, you can send them you can send your guitar to Rich. No, I, I'm also I'm also yeah. that guy. I did my I did my strat and my telly last night and had a, a really nice sort of zen moment of just, you know, per- perfection oh, yeah. of intonation and oh it was it was really enjoyable. <laughs> Especially because the, the kids were in bed and you know, it was like, well, this is me time. I'm gonna spend it restringing these two fenders. Restringing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've we've got a, a nearly six month old, and any time is like spare time, which spare time doesn't really exist as a parent. The number of times I've gone, I'm going to restring my guitars, and it's this weird <laughs> moment where I'm like, this is this has become me time now. This is what I do. Yeah. You've um, got a, a boy, right? But yeah, like, yeah, our son Rory. Yeah, and his. Is he cool. hanging around your guitars? I've seen some posts on your social media where he's, you know, you're holding him and the classic strumming and twanging. Yeah, it, it was really cool. Like, because he was kind of, he's in his bouncer and he's watching in the night garden or whatever. <laughs> cool. And he, he started shouting at the TV like a grumpy old man. Which <laughs> <laughs> is hilarious. But at the same time, you're like... Calm down, kid. Whoa, where'd this come from? Use your inside voice. You know, like, what the, what and, and, like, and then I was like, well, while he's in there, he seems happy enough. I'm just going to get my guitar out and start writing. Because again, I'm trying to find bits of time between the teaching work, the session work, the book that I'm writing, writing Cradle of Filth stuff. I was like, okay, I'm going to grab little bits of time 10 minutes here and there he's, he's happy enough i'm going to grab the guitar out the second i grab the guitar out he's uh, he's like mesmerized and he's what he's physically watching my hands he's like following my my fretting hand over the thing and, and we're like this is pretty cool and then i picked him up put him on my lap started strumming worked out the melody to in the night garden and he, and he just thought I was the coolest guy ever he was just looking at me in awe and so we're going to keep that going so now I know I can write Cradle of Filth material with my son on my lap and he'll love it awesome. so he, he started kind of dictating what key it was going to be last night because he literally physically grabbed my hand and like uh, I was like okay not that key then <laughs> so yeah really cool. is he going to get an album credit awesome. in, the little, in the liner notes yeah, I, I think we should like any song that says written by Shaw. It's not me, it's <laughs> my Shaw son. Junior. <laughs> <laughs> At least you share the same initials, so you can't differentiate so easily. There is, yeah, ah, there is that. Yeah. Sneaky. Yeah, by RX. I'll just take the Sneaky R. Shaw. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hilarious. <laughs> So Dan, cool. if you want to carry on, for, I'm going to go through the chat and um, make sure we've covered everybody's questions so far because there have been quite an yeah, influx. Yeah, sure. Actually, actually, yeah. 
Yeah, there were there were plenty of uh, plenty of questions. Actually, one that uh, interested me, like from the get go, when um, Andy said that uh, you were joining the, the show, I was I was intrigued to hear was that a big difference for you as a player when you joined uh, Cradle because they have that you know almost theatrical kind of you know show, and it's not really it's not necessarily kind of rock and roll and, and and punk rocky. It's more like you know well orchestrated and everything. So was that like for you with the whole procedure and you know the makeup in advance? and then afterwards you know get rid of everything and, and have that big crew around you was that how, how was that for you that transition to to that whole production well it was definitely fun because i've never done anything on a production scale like that okay. i've never done the makeup and the costume thing so that was kind of a learning experience because it wasn't like we had dress rehearsals we literally had like two morning rehearsals i think i think we literally went through the songs twice before we played wow. them in front of the audience wow um so and that was it there was no proper dress rehearsal nothing like that production rehearsal nothing it was like right play the songs in cradle Phil's old rehearsal room in ipswich and then get on the tour bus my first time on a tour bus get to know the band and the crew on the way to Munich, <laughs> on the way to the show, going over the guitar parts with uh, Ashok Daniel, the other guitar player and bass player, just going, okay, am I doing this right? What part are you playing? So which harmony am I taking? Like still going over the songs on the way to the first show. Um, and then it was like, okay, it's like an hour before show, time to get ready. And I was like, okay, how do I do makeup? <laughs> and then there was no, so, um, it, it was literally like that. It was like kind of learning as we go. So anybody who saw those early <laughs> Cradle of Filth shows with me and Ashok, yeah. Ashok joined the same, well, not the same day, but we, we played the, the same first show, if I may say. So we had to get two new guitar players gig ready on wow. two two hour long rehearsals. But anyway, hence the pressure we were kind of feeling. But yeah, it, once we got the first show out of the way, it was like, okay, I know how this works. I was always listening to the band, always listening to the crew. You know what? Like, be a nice guy about the whole thing. Literally ask questions, learn how this works because this is their area. It's not mine. Not yet. Mm -hmm. um, so I was learning how things are done on a professional level. Um, some may argue it wasn't really that professional because there's bands that are way more professional than, than we are. <laughs> you know, it just depends how, how things are conducted on a technical level. But that was the first time I'd used uh, like click tracks and backing tracks, even though I was used to playing to clicks and things. Thankfully, because a lot of musical theatre stuff was done on click tracks. So mm -hmm. I was kind of used to that. But I don't hear the click in my monitors. We play to our drummer who has the click in our, All in right. our monitors. Okay. In sense. Yeah. So, because we've got obviously the orchestras and the choirs, so we have to play along to the backing tracks. So, it, I, I think it was more of a less of a musical thing and more of a how to conduct yourself on a tour thing. Okay. Because, and I like to think, weirdly enough, my experience of living with three other guys when I was at university kind of helped with that because now you're on a bus with like 12 people <laughs> and you have to know good etiquette and don't get in anyone's way. Mm. Don't drink anyone's beer that they saved for after the show. You know, I mean, all these all these little things that you wouldn't necessarily think of until you're on a tour. And you've got to live yeah. with like eleven other people on the bus, and yeah. you learn pretty quickly. Sounds like a good experience, but also like really, you know, 
trial by fire, as they say, to really being pushed on stage and go for it. You know, it was. I think, I I th I think not not everyone could do that. Actually, N not it's, everyone could pull that. I'm. I think it's that session mentality where it's like, okay, I've got to adapt because mm -hmm. this gig isn't mine. It's not mine for long, even if it is mm -hmm. mine. And that was the mentality back then, especially. And it's, I still don't feel like I'm the permanent guitar player of Cradle of Filth. Look at their history. They've had a, a lot of lineup changes. So the fact I'm here seven years later is quite surprising, but I get mm -hmm. on with them all. We've got a good writing chemistry. Hopefully I stick around. It depends what the future holds. I don't know what the future is going to be like for Cradle. I don't know what the future is going to be like for, for anything. There might come a point where, I don't know, another band comes along. I go and play with that band for a bit. Or, mm. yeah, because I'll be honest, there, there have been tours that I've been offered by other bands where I'm like, I would love to play with that band, but I've got a Cradle tour to do and things like that. And so it's, I've still got that session mentality, I think. Even when I'm off off the road with Cradle, yes, I am writing Cradle music between tours and stuff, but I'm still teaching. I'm still doing sessions in kind of all kinds of styles. As I said, like I say, writing writing this book that I've nearly finished and all this kind of stuff. It's I never see it as I'm happy and settled. That's it. It's like no, I've got to keep earning a living as a musician doing a million mm -hmm. things. Plus I get bored really easily. If I was just doing Crayler Filth 24-7, I think I would have left a long time ago. So, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but I'm very, very lucky that I get the, the chance to do a, a lot of other things. I still do the musical theatre stuff. I still do, uh, yeah, the teaching work just the same as before I joined Cradle. Mm -hmm. So I'm a very, very lucky guy. Sounds it. But it's, you sound very appreciative lucky. as well. So I think that's the key to... So knowing that you're lucky is, is one of the keys to life. It's the music industry. It could like if anything, this past year, especially as tortoise, not get too deep with it. It's like not that I think we took it for granted, but there's a lot of elements of it I think we took for granted. There was always, <laughs> especially in Cradle, there was always like, oh, there'll always be another tour. There'll always be another album. There'll always be and then now it's like, there isn't another tour. <laughs> there hasn't been a tour since November 2019 for us that's when we finished the last mm. tour so when are we going to tour again don't know mm. we've got tour dates booked but whether they'll go ahead or not is a different story because nobody knows and um, so if anything not to get too hippy trippy about the whole thing but it has made me realise you know what we can't take any of this for granted so in this day and age I'm still incredibly fortunate that during a pandemic I've still been able to um put food on the table and look after my family using music to do that. Um, so mm. it's not lost on me because I know a lot of my musician friends aren't in that situation. Mm. So I'm yeah. incredibly lucky. Plus you have your, your salad making skills to fall back on, which is I can highly valuable. Back. I've still got that level <laughs> hygiene certificate and that can get me a lot of work. Yeah. You could do your own <laughs> catering on the Cradle of Filth tour. I could, you know what? I whip up a mean coleslaw. <laughs> you know, as long as they're in pre-prepared ingredients, yeah, because that's how it worked at Morrison's. It was like I didn't even weigh out the ingredients. They just come in ready-made bags and you put them together. That's how much yeah. they trusted the salad bar workers. <laughs> you know? <So laughs> that's how it is. I just wonder how well catering of filth would go. 
in the market. Catering of, I, I was trying to find that. something, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Could be a little bit off putting to, to some people. <laughs> if they don't know the joke. Yeah. I, well, my girlfriend can testify for this. I definitely cannot cook now. So I, it probably would be a catering of filth. You'd be like, what, what the hell is this? <laughs> Awesome. I have um, I have two questions I absolutely have to ask you. I have to squeeze them in. Um, number one is, which is the first album that you're playing on for Cradle? So the, which album recording is you? Which album recording is me? Hammer of the Witches. I'm so, I'm so glad you said that, because that's, that's my in album. That's the main one I've been listening to. And uh, really? that's, oh, cool. um, what's it? Blackest Magic in Practice is the track that got me into <laughs> Cradle. That's... That's cool because that's my song, ah. so that's good to know. That's wow. Yeah, the, the riff. <laughs> I, I love the riff. It's so um, it's melodic. It's simple, and it's as a guitar player. It's not. I, I didn't. It took me a while to realize that you're in drop C for that. I guess. Uh, D standard. D standard. Okay. Well, I was in something yeah. on on. I'm definitely playing it wrong, but um, it was so nice to. to... I've, I've got tabs for it. If you if you want some tabs, I'll fire some over Thank for you. you. Well, I was working away, working <laughs> my way around around the fretboard. It was just pleasant to to walk around the fretboard playing it. It was a really nice journey riff, you know. That makes sense. Thanks. Yeah, it was it was a cool song to write and a, a really joyous song to write. As weird as that sounds for Cradle of Film, because. I, I think that was the third song I'd written for Cradle of Filth. Um, and the first two were like just trying to feel my way around. And then once we'd got X amount of songs written for the album, because we kind of all write individually. Okay. So especially on Hammer of a Whip, which is in Cryptoriana, it was like, here's my song, add your parts. Here's somebody else's song, add your parts. Like like our drummer, for instance, writes all the, all the keyboard parts on those two albums. Uh, so he's like written the drums and the keyboards and he's like, now can you guys come up with a, and he's got basic guitar playing technique by, by those words. And he's like, here's what I kind of think I want, but I can't physically play it. Can you guys kind of embellish it? So that's kind of what we all do with the songs. And Blackest Magic Practice was one of those where I was like, okay, we've got the fast songs. We've got the thrashy songs. We've got the gothic songs. We're missing something like a slower tempo thing. And that's where that riff was born. And it just, it was, I won't say it was an easy song to write, but once I got that opening riff, everything else kind of just made sense of what it, mm-hmm. need, what the song needed. And it became a fairly straightforward song to write after that, um, which doesn't happen very often for anybody who, who knows who writes songs. It's, you can come up with riffs pretty quickly. You can come up with songs pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Those ones that kind of write themselves are very, very, very rare. And Blackest Magic Practice kind of felt like one of those for me. So, yeah, it's cool that was, that was your in. So, yeah, Hammer of the Witches. And then I did Cryptoriana. And then the new one, which has been delayed thanks to COVID, which is uh, Existence is Futile, which I can't wait for people to hear it. Really can't. Do we have a rough, is it going to be 2021 release date? It, it will be this year. Um Definitely. Um, to, to be completely honest, I don't know how much of this I can actually a- say. Everything. No, no one's but, watching. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the, the plan is, basically, we go in to do, we're going to do a, a live stream, uh, May 12th. There is a, a live stream that's going to happen. 
around that time, we're going to basically do a lot of rehearsing because we've got a new keyboard player. So we need to rehearse with her a lot, go over the set, but we're also going to rehearse new material. The plan is to like record while we're all in the same room, because that's not been able to happen for a very long time. While we're all in the same room, we're going to record a couple of music videos, do the photo shoot, because literally the album artwork's ready to go. Everything is ready, set. The problem is we don't have any new photos and new no music video to promote the albums mm-hmm. with. So once we get everybody together, it's like, right, okay, bang, 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 do rehearsals, video shoot, photo shoot, everything. Uh, and then it's just a case of whenever the record label want to release it, because once the video's done, we could technically release the album whenever we want. Mm-hmm. So fingers crossed, like end of April, early May, we'll be filming those. And then it's up to the record label when they want to release it. So it will definitely be this year. I, I, I don't want to speak into it because it was meant to be October last year. Then it was meant to be April. But I've got, I, it, I, I assume it'll be summer, some point in the summer. Well, I'm looking forward then. Gonna be great. Maybe it would spark it would spark Andy's interest in in becoming a true metal player even further. Because I think we started with John Brown, kind of uh, fusing him into that whole segment, and now it's you and and your music. I think that I think you you're on a journey, Andy. I'm excited. And it's so cool to see. Uh, yeah, it's so cool to see guys like Richard, who are the pros, kind of leading the way for you to uh, diving more into the metal thing. <laughs> it's cool. It's one of it's, it's it's the same way. Like it took me a long time. Like like Andy was talking about like. You're a product of the 90s guitar scene. And I was as well, but I think um, from the sounds of it, I was maybe a little bit younger. So I was kind of like, I started learning guitar because bands like Manic Street Preachers were huge. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like, it was kind of like, well, I don't really like Manic Street Preachers that much, but I've got to learn their guitar parts because that Mm -hmm. was So I kind of begrudgingly played a lot of... <laughs> was it everything must go? Was, was that the album? Backed, uh, I think it was. Yeah, everything must go. So Design for was life, it? Australia, Kevin Carter. Yeah, it was the one. Basically, I remember when, like, it was. If you tolerate this, for okay, your children, that's, that's a little bit later. Yeah, the next album. <laughs> that's a little later. So that was the one. It seemed like. That's how I learned an F chord because there was an F chord in that. So I was like, oh, I've got nice. to learn this. Because like, all my mates were into Britpop and indie and I was like, well, I'll impress them by playing this. I wanted to play like Queen and Thin Lizzy, and, uh, it, which wasn't exactly like in like in fashion then. No, very <laughs> you know much I mean? not. So I was learning like Radiohead, Oasis, stuff like that, like almost begrudgingly, but at least it was kind of, it was guitar based. So it, and, and now I look back on it very, very fond, fondly. And now I've gotten back into those bands in a massive way because there's some nostalgia. And now it's like, now I'm a little older. I kind of appreciate the songwriting craft behind it, but I didn't get it at the time. Mm. And now I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing stuff. I really do. Speaking of songwriting, what's your usual routine when you write songs? Or do you have like do you start with music? Do you start with lyrics? Do you have like a, uh, a routine where you grab an acoustic on the couch and kind of fiddle around? Or what, what's your approach? Or do you have like a more theoretical approach to the whole process? It's it's a it's a weird one because it depends on who I'm writing for, what band I'm doing. But for for, for Cradle of Filth purposes, it tends to be that from my experience. 
I'll write riffs. I, I'll I kind of do two different things. I write riffs and then just stockpile riffs. Get on my phone, film myself recording the, the riffs, playing the riffs, so I can remember even fret positions and stuff. So oh, I can just okay. watch it back and go, okay, that that was cool. Yeah, that's cool. I can work on that later. That's fine as it is. That one wasn't so good. I thought it was. And I, but to be honest with you, I because st- I'm such a big Beatles fan, I still do the Beatles thing. I still do that this to this day. And the stuff that makes a Cradle of Filth album, I use the Beatles approach. If I can't remember it the next day, it wasn't good enough. Wow. So okay. if I write a riff and I can't remember it the next day, that doesn't make an album. It's as simple as that. It's the ones that I pick up the next day, I'll pick up the guitar and I'll remember it note for note, rhythm for rhythm, and go, there's something about that riff then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as weird as it sounds and almost pretentious as it sounds, it's like, okay, that, that's there's some something there. Whereas the riffs that I just record and just kind of – I think I wrote something like 200 riffs for the last album, like over 200 wow. riffs. And I recorded them, sent them to the guys, but all the ones that made the album were the parts where I could remember it the next day. And – there was something about those riffs. They're the ones that make the album. Um, so I kind of do it. So sometimes I'll start a song and see it through to its national natural conclusion, which is like how Blackest Magic Practice worked. Mm-hmm. But over the years, I've realised, okay, if I just have a backlog of riffs, and I, me being an Alterbridge fan, like Mark, I read an interview with Mark Monty where he said this, where what he would do, he, was, he would record the riffs, but put a little note of what key and what tempo they were. And okay. then basically just stockpile all these riffs. And he's like, right, I need to write a song. That's in this key. And if it was within a 10 beat per minute um, tempo, he would see if he could like maybe speed one up, slow one down, maybe put them together like a little jigsaw puzzle. So I kind of do it both ways. I see the song through to completion and I become, it's like a mission. It's like, right, now I need a chorus. Now I need a bridge. Now I need an excuse to shred. Um, <laughs> it's, um, it's that kind of thing which weirdly enough the whole guitar solo thing because a lot of Cradle of Filth fans ask me this the guitar solo thing in Cradle of Filth land because Cradle of Filth weren't exactly known for guitar solos yet Hammer of the Witches mm-hmm. and Cryptorium and this new one is full of solos that was Danny's idea on the oh, demos, wow. there were no solos on the demos for both Hammer of the Witches and Cryptorium at all and then Danny was like we should have solos I always, Danny was like, I always wanted solos, but for some reason the guitar players never did, so we never had them. Okay. Kind of, Danny called him a shot. He's like, can we have some solos? And we're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not? And that's, so now people get solos on Cradle of Filth records, which never really existed. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, but, but in response to the question a bit further, in a bit more detail, sorry for going on a bit, but you're asking about like theoretical writing. Yeah. And sometimes my music theory knowledge kind of fills in the blanks for me. Sometimes I'm like writing something and go, it needs something. It needs something else. And either I'll just blindly go for it and it'll take me like two days to find one note or one chord that I'll mix it up. Or sometimes my musical theory brain goes, switches on and go, you can do this. I'm like, cool. I'll do that. So sometimes, most of the time it starts with got like this kind of almost naive kind of caveman approach, just trying to find something that sounds cool, which is perfectly fine. But I've got the 
my musical theory knowledge is there to help me go, well, I, if I hit a brick wall, theory goes, mm-hmm. unlock it right now, we can carry it on. It's I see theory as like a time-saving skill. It doesn't make me a, a, a good guitar player because I know theory, because uh, you can know all the theory in the world and not apply any of it. it doesn't make you a better player or a better writer, but I find it's a time-saving thing. Uh, just kind of unlocks different areas where I go, oh, do this. Because even if you break the rules of music theory, that's technically music theory. <laughs> so it's kind of a weird thing that a lot of people don't realize about theory. <laughs> it's like it's it's like science. Science admits when it's wrong and goes, okay, we're, yeah, we'll change that. Music theory is the same. It's constantly evolving. So when you break the rules of theory, that now becomes a new rule of music theory. Uh, uh. so it's it's one of those weird things if it sounds good it is good but at the same time theory does help me kind of finish off a lot of parts that I'm kind of struggling to reach a conclusion for so yeah sorry about the rant but that's I'm I'm one of these guys who watches a lot of music documentaries reads a lot of music biographies about my favourite bands and some of my not so favourite bands I'm just curious how bands write and how they work in the studio how they conduct themselves on top, you know, all these classic bands. And every time I read a docu- uh, uh, watch a documentary or read an autobiography or a biography or something, there's always something where I'm like, I'm going to try that in a Cradle of Filth setting, see if mm-hmm. that works. Like Heartbreak and Seance on Cryptoriana came from me doing a hybrid pick thing because I'm more of a hybrid picker. And I was like, I wonder if I can do a Cradle of Filth song with a hybrid pick riff. And I was actually playing a lot of country music and went, well, if I tweak some notes, I can turn this into a cradle of filth riff. And it worked. And, uh, country of filth. Country of filth. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 that's, and, and that's how a lot of my ideas come. It, it's like a, a lot of guitar players admire. It's like this almost like this naive what if mm. kind of thing. You're never happy, settled with going, oh, I know everything. It's more of a, what if I do this? What if I do that? What, what will it sound sure. like? It might sound crap. It might sound great. You don't know until you try it. But uh, maybe that's coming from your, <laughs> as you mentioned earlier, bit being trying not to be bored. You know, you're constantly trying to entertain yourself by trying new things, yeah. and that seems to be working for you. Exactly. I, I hope so um, because it feels good. And obviously, I'll never be the judge of whether a Cradle of Filth song is good or not because that's up to the fans. The number of times you, you try and write something and go, yeah, the fans are going to love this. And that never, well, I've never really done that with Cradle, but I know I haven't spoken to Danny about past Cradle of Filth albums because obviously they had a big history way before I joined the mm. band. And he has said on occasions where you go, right, okay, we can kind of guess what the fans want. It yeah. usually doesn't go down that well. So it's like you can never guess what the fans want. You kind of know the tricks and the kind of things that make Cradle sound like Cradle. So you've got this kind of melting pot of ideas that you can go, well, we can take things out of that and we know it'll sound like Cradle if we do that, but it can also backfire because you don't know. It's like if we're all fans of music. The number of times that one of our favorite bands has released an album where you've gone, okay, that's <laughs> what they're trying to do. But it's not quite got there. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's so it happens with every band. But at the end of the day, an album's an album. There's always going to be another one by that same band that you're going to be like, oh my God, this is even better than the one I didn't quite like before. You know, it's, 
I remember Freddie Mercury saying that about the Hot, hot, space, hot space album. Yeah. He was like, it's only an album. Calm down. Right. <laughs> and it's kind of always stuck with me where it's like, as long as you're doing what you enjoy, hopefully the fans will enjoy it as well. If they don't, hey, we'll do another album. <laughs> you might like that one. You know, that's kind of how it works. Speaking of the, the sound of Cradle and having had so many guitar players and so many members, generally speaking, um, can we finish off with talking about your tone? Because there's a few people, and I am one of those people, who want to know about getting the, the guitar tone and what's your sort of favourite or definitive metal tone that you play. And could you give us some tips on how you get there? Please. <laughs> it's a tough one. Because it's... What, ne- what is necessarily my tone, it doesn't always fit the mix. Okay. Uh, I am part of an ensemble. It's not the Richard Shaw Orchestra. The Richard Shaw Orchestra. <laughs> it's it. it you know, sounds it's, good. It, I'm in. It I'm sounds in. good. I'm, I'm afraid of that. I don't know. But um, my, <laughs> um, you know, because my part is just one part that makes the sound of Cradle of Filthy. It's not the standout part. Danny's vocal is the standout True. part. True. And I think anybody who enters the band thinking that is not the case is, is a little bit of a moron. But luckily, the, the, the band we have, it's not, nobody thinks that, which is why I think it works. We are there to write the songs for Danny to shine on with his lyrics and his vocal sure. style. Um, so my, my guitar sound, from experience, like from Hammer of Witches, let's see if I remember this, on every album we used a Mesa 4B12 can't remember the exact mics, but I know there were three mics on that cab. Hammer of Witches, we did a blend of my my guitar tone. I'm talking about my guitar tone. was a blend because we double track. So one track was a PV5150. The other one was a Randall RM100. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and we did a blend of the two, and we kind of left it up to Scott, our producer and mixer, who, who he's great at guitar tones metal guitar tones he's he's kind of known for that he's brilliant so we, we were very hands-on with the tone when we were tracking but afterwards when he was reamping, he was like okay now that we've added keyboards and bass and choirs and orchestras it's like that guitar tone we originally had needs to be tweaked a little bit just eq same amps but just eq differently um which makes a lot of sense cryptoriana i was using my prs archon for that so and i used that mm-hmm. for all and all the leads so that was an and as far as I was concerned was an entire PRS album like amp and guitar wise on the new album we, we went I got a PV 6505 and that's the main sound that you hear on it so PV seems to be like the main kind of metal tone for Cradle stuff it seems but we'll spice it up like on the new album we did use a Marshall JVM on a couple of tracks mm-hmm. um, and the Archon again made an appearance it's kind of weird because not again sound too hippie trippy and all that, but I'm still a big believer that the sound it comes from your fingers. Um, and that's what I learned at ACM. I remember because I'm a big Richie Kotzen fan and I, he came and did a masterclass at ACM and he plugged into, he just used, I think he just used a Fender Strat, like borrowed someone's Fender Strat and he okay. plugged into whatever amp was provided and it sounded like Richie Kotzen. And I was like, now that's the kind of player I want to be. And oh. it, and I've worked really hard on kind of 
getting you get a good tone it's the same way when i do musical theater theater stuff and cover gigs sometimes i turn up and i'm not using an amp or a guitar that's mine but i still need to make it sound good uh so i've worked a lot on making sure i can make it sound good here so then no matter what equipment i use it sounds good coming out saying that equipment is important <laughs> you could do 90 percent of the work here but if 10 percent of your gear is letting you down you're not going to get that idea across yeah. Yeah. um so that's why it seems for me the kind of double humbucker setup uh i mean pv just seems to have a really good mid-range for cradle uh-huh. like I, it made me laugh when i posted weird enough it was a year today that i went in to record the new album and still not out. It is what it is. But I posted a photo of the amps we were using <laughs> and what I was plugged into the PV6505 for tracking and somebody saw the mids were not very high and somebody, somebody went, oh, the mids aren't very high. This album's going <laughs> to suck. You know? <laughs> but people forget because it's this weird thing where people kind of judge guitar sound with their eyes and not their ears. PVs naturally have a lot of mids in them. So does the PRS Archon. So even though the mids might not look like it's on a lot, it's got a hell of a lot more mids than, say, a Marshall has, which you'd have, or a Messer has. So it's it's a weird one. So they're naturally kind of mid-response, because obviously we need to cut through that mix of orchestras, choirs, drums, keys, blast beats. You know, trying to, trying to get a guitar sound to come out blast beats is pretty difficult so i find the pvs do a lot prs archons do a lot but i'm just a big believer if you f- buy an amp and you or any effect pedal whatever it is and you really milk it for all it's worth and you find out how that thing works and know it so well before you decide whether you sell it or keep it you you need to know everything about the amp and how it works because you'd be surprised how you can get really good tones out of relatively cheap gear. Because everyone thinks just throwing money at gear is the answer to the question, whereas those same people don't practice the actual art of playing enough. Um, and also getting to know your gear is also pretty important because you can have all the gear in the world, but if you can barely dial in a good tone, I mean, it's, it's useless then, right? You've got to use it, it how to... How, what how is to it? Use it all in all yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've got some Skype students who openly admit they're that guy or that girl. They're going, yeah, I've got all the gear, but don't know how to use it. And I need mm. to actually know how to play it. And, they, and then they come to me for lessons kind of knowing that. And it's a brilliant thing that they've come to that conclusion. Um, and it's amazing how many people do that. There's a lot of people I think, I think, it, I think that's kind of as much as I'm on here talking about guitar and gear and stuff, I think that's a kind of a problem with a lot of social media and stuff at the moment, people go, oh my God, there's this new amp that's come out, there's this new guitar that's come out, and they're chasing that, yet what the gear that what they have is actually brilliant. They just haven't mm-hmm. maximised the potential out of that gear because they're so worried about what the next thing is. Oh, my favourite player is using that. Oh, maybe I'll sound like them. It's like, no, you'll probably sound like them if you put in your 10,000 hours of practice or whatever it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know what I mean? It's kind of how. I obviously can't agree with you being a, a YouTube reviewer. So, uh, I, 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 I <laughs> <laughs> gracefully disagree. I'm that guy. So, I kind of feel like a bit of a hypocrite. So, there's always gear I'll always want and always yearn for. And I'm constantly watching 
uh, YouTube videos and demos and stuff. And there's always going to be something new. And don't get me wrong, a lot of the time I do think, yeah, that would be cool. But what all, all that happens is I end up with lots and lots of gear and the chances of me using it become quite slim. Yeah. <laughs> the number of effects pedals I have that do not come out of the closet, it's that I've acquired over the years where you just go, I will use that one day. And it never seems to have a reason. So there's a lot of money I've wasted on gear, but then again, there's a lot of money I don't consider wasted it's, at all. It's a journey, Because it was it? like it's the perfect journey. thing. It is a journey. It is a journey. And, and there's different uh, gear for different needs and different musical situations, which is why, again, it's, I feel like a, a bit of a hypocrite saying it is in your fingers, it is in your because it depends, you don't know what that musical situation is going to be. But a number of situations, like sessions where I've gone, oh, I wish I had that Digitech Space Station. Do you remember that? Yes, the Digitech Space Station. Oh, that was incredible! Like a, it's on my on my list of gear that I would like to acquire at some point, but but have no use for. I, I remember <laughs> that, that, that was that that was on. Uh, I became familiar with it because Kirk Hammett used it on "I Disappear." Everyone thinks it's oh. a water. Not it's okay. an envelope filter that was on the Digitech Space Station, and I was like, I need that pedal, and they discontinued it. So, and I'm still after a Digitech Space Station. The chances of me actually using any of the effects on it are about as high as the Zoom 505 that I still own. Guilty. Um, <laughs> yeah, every, Zoom 505 opened me up to a world of tone. I was like yeah. 13, 14 years old when I got that thing. It, it, the, the tone hunt began there, and it, like you said, Andy, it, it is a journey. Uh, and again, I don't like to get too hippy trippy with it, but there, there is a balance between working on your craft, but then you need the tools to enable your craft to Absolutely. come out. Like if I was using, uh, not knocking them at all, if I was still using like an encore strat, oh, steady, uh, you know, like to, to play, it wouldn't work with the action that was about up there. But then again, that's yeah. that's what I learned on, you know, and that's. You need to go through these things to realize, okay, that's not what I need for this, for where I want to go on my playing and writing journey. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm going really hippie. No, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> welcome. <laughs> all um, good, all good. Richard, so you said that you give yeah. lessons. Where can we find lessons from Richard Shaw? How do we book lessons from you? Uh, book lessons with me or, or just contacting me directly on my Instagram or Facebook page. Uh, I, I'm very on it with the social media. I like to think in terms of reading all the messages and stuff. So if people just contact me on there, um, we'll arrange it and discuss rates, availability, same with guest solos, uh, podcast requests, all this kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, I don't have an official website or anything like that. Cause I'm not famous enough, but it's one of those things where, just Instagram and Facebook just seem to do the trick for me. So people get in touch with me on Instagram and then Facebook. We'll make sure those links are beneath the video in the video description and maybe down we can throw them in the um the what's it called? The description of the podcast as well. So the show notes. Yeah, of course. Of course, yeah. Yeah. For, for anyone who's who's listening, it's uh Richard Shaw guitarist uh, on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So you can barely miss Rich there. Yeah, Richard Shaw guitarist on both Instagram and Facebook. Wait. Oh, there you go. Well, awesome. I have got a lot to um a lot of now newly acquired knowledge to apply. I've been making notes and now I have to go and decipher them and and, and <laughs> practice, I think, is the key. <laughs> practice is the big one. But gear is also cool. 
Good. Now we're on <laughs> the same page. <laughs> just, just as long as the practice comes first. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Okay. We we were so close. We were so close. <laughs> Um, I want to say thank you so much, man. It's it's been a pleasure um, learning and listening to you. Um, Yeah, it's it's part of my journey this year. And um, I'm sure Dan, I'm sure you've got some similar things to say. Yeah, it was a blast. Uh, it's, it's it's usually the 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 players that really know their stuff that are the the nicest and and got the best stories to tell. And uh, you know, we've we've had several guests on the podcast that shared great stories. And it was uh, you were just another one of those glorious uh, guitar geeks uh, that was a joy to spend two hours with. So thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. Uh, yeah, for looking forward to it. yeah. I am I am a fan of the show and. It's uh, it was it was weird when I got a, a message on Instagram out of blue from Andy going, "Do you want to be on a podcast?" I was like, "What?" I thought famous people were on that. You know, I, I, I still get really surprised when like the guitar community kind of asks me to be involved in stuff because as much as I am, I, I want to be a part of the guitar community and I love the, the YouTube guitar community is incredible. It's absolutely incredible, and I learned so much. On, on a daily basis, I'm always watching something new and my mind is blown with all new players and demo reviews and all kinds of stuff. But for some reason, Cradle of Filth always have been kind of excluded from the guitar community, which is kind of weird. So I'm hoping that's kind of changing with this kind of thing and maybe extreme metal in general kind of gets a look in of going, actually, it's not just all power chords and screaming. It's only 90% power chords and screaming, but the other 10% is pretty cool. You know? I thought the 10% is makeup. Wait. 10% is makeup. You know? 5% is catering. That brings us to about 150%, which is exactly what it should be. Which is exactly. Yeah. More, you know, more is more. If anything, the guitar community has taught me is, or just direct from Malmsteen's mouth, is more is more, you know, <laughs> including percentages. But um, we're getting some love for you in the chat as well. So we have a few regular listeners and and viewers, and they've also really, really enjoyed it. And I'm sure the people listening to this in the future um, will also message us and message you, hopefully, and share some love. I can't wait for the new album. I'm genuinely pleased to be in the position I'm in in this year so I can enjoy something also with the new (laughs) listeners, so I'm not left behind. So thank you for that. And... uh, uh, make sure you share with us your release info, and I will be all over that. Brilliant. Will do. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you, really Richard. appreciate it. Um, Dan, uh, we're going to go. Well, I'm going to go and watch Snowpiercer now. Have you got Netflix, Richard? I do have Netflix. Snowpiercer is in my list, but it seems to be pushed aside in favor of what Rory <laughs> wants to watch. All right, okay. So, I hear. But I will get round to Snowpiercer <laughs> at some point because everyone tells me how good it is. Dan's not quite up to date on a few is, episodes. Yeah. It, it has become uh, our routine. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, episode wise, we're a little bit apart, but we we share the same routine. Right after the podcast, we're gonna pierce some snow. Yeah. Oh, ah. <laughs> That's very weird. weird. I know. In the weird. Well, I hope um, Iggle Piggle and uh, Oopsie Daisy don't wreck your riffs uh, too much. And uh, thank you to the people listening. Yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah. I was going to say that I think Iggle Piggle and Oopsie Daisy are making my riffs sound more psychedelic. If anything, people who write music for like 
children's TV shows and just write children's TV shows. Absolutely. They're on level, man. <laughs> I've got some fun Austrian stuff to share with Absolutely. you then. Okay. Um, thank you people oh, for yeah. listening. Come and join us uh, on the YouTubes if you want to watch the show live or if you're listening to this, then give us five stars on the iTunes thing because we like, we like five-star ratings. Um, and Dan, yeah. are you going to finish us off this week? Of course, that was episode 31, a very interesting PRS-centric episode with a lot of metal. Um, next week, we're not going live because I'm moving. Ooh, there we go. There's the beautiful PRS Custom centric. 24 again. <laughs> yeah, PRS-centric. Actually, we're, we're, uh, we're joined by another PRS um, artist in two weeks, which is Mark Leggeri. We just recently oh, really? got his signature guitar. Yeah, the yeah, Fiore. Which looks really cool. Uh, yeah, the Fiore looks great. Yeah. Did you have a chance to try it yet? Probably not, right? Because nah, of the whole COVID situation. No, because yeah. of the whole COVID thing, but I really want to try yeah. it. If it's anything, I, I own a PRS Silver Sky, and if it's anything as good as that, I really want to try it. Oh, yeah. I imagine it must be pretty hard to get to get any any merchandise into UK at the moment anyway, so. I think so, yeah. It's a bit yeah, of a weird yeah, situation. Yeah. I've not tried, to be honest with you. Not, right. not yet. Well, in the future, definitely. Let's. Yeah. Well, we're gonna hear Mark's guitar story in two weeks then, and see uh, how the whole development went from. See if you, you know, can put in a good word for me, and see if I you can <laughs> send me one much more discount. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> that's three now. Damn it. Making notes. Yeah. Making notes. <laughs> <laughs> all right everyone well in episode 31 it was a blast uh everyone train your chops play metal be kind to each other and uh see you in two weeks have a great night and let's pierce some snow bye bye, bye. bye.